crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. episode of the fire and water podcast a proud member of the fire and water podcast network hey we got our own network look at that i'm one of your hosts the irredeemable shag along with me as always is my co-host the revived rob kelly how you doing buddy who are you again um my name is shag it's nice to meet you <laughs> i kind of have a catchphrase you'll hear a little bit about later you know I, i'm around from time to time yes i've had i've had a few weeks off but then again you had a week off when i did the jla episode or just <laughs> Justice League International episode, I should say. I'm just saying, I just did the show two weeks in a row, and I'm just, you know. I, I'm sorry, too, you've been too busy recording with Ange and, I don't know, Dan Abnett to <laughs> you know, waste your time with someone like myself. Yes, yeah, that's really the sad truth of it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Folks, if you have not heard the Dan Abnett interview yet that Rob did, it is absolutely exceptional. I mean, not Rob. He, he was pretty much embarrassing. But yeah, I phoned, I phoned that one in. Yeah, that's, that's... <laughs> Dan Abnett was amazing. So go back, uh, was it one episode? Yeah, uh, for a previous episode, 166. Yeah. Yep, go back and listen to it. It is really, really outstanding. And Dan shared a lot more than I thought he would. I mean, he was very open and uh, very forthcoming. And it's a great interview. And I'm so excited about the future of Aquaman right now. Yeah, it was great. He was a great, great sport, as you can tell by the stinger. And and uh, oh my, he was, he gosh, was, that I was, stinger! I was so proud of that. Uh, he was the funny. The funny thing is, I I listened to most of the episode the day it came out. I was I was painting the house and all this stuff. Anyway, and I didn't quite finish it, so I didn't finish like the last five minutes until like I don't know several days later in the car. And I about swerved into a tree when that part happened. I was like, <laughs> oh god. I was so proud I thought of it. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, and then he he was a good sport. He was really nice to talk to, and uh, we, we talked a little bit afterwards, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And he wants to come back and do it again, and I, obviously we would love that. So, yeah, it was, it was We'll see if we can great. it. <laughs> well, folks, it's our monthly review episode, and we have got a ton of comic books to talk about. Uh, we're going to just very, very briefly touch on DC Rebirth. Then we're going to hit Aquaman number 52. Then we're going to get Aquaman Rebirth. Then we're going to hit Legends of Tomorrow number 3. Then we're going to hit Legends of Tomorrow number 4. So we are going to breeze through these things fast, folks. And at the very end, we're going to cover your feedback. So 
buckle up, Buttercup, as we roam through this stuff as fast as we can. But the first thing we got to do is thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob? Uh, I picked, apropos of nothing, Prez, the first teenage president trade paperback, <laughs> because as we all have seen from this year, politics is funny. Uh, it's, uh, the writer is Joe Simon. The cover artist, uh, apparently, it says here Frank Miller, but that can't be right. So or the, it says the interior artist is Frank Miller. Uh, but anyway, I don't know what they're talking about there. Uh, it reprints uh, the original Prez book, which was all the four issues. The issue that appeared in Cancelled Comics Cavalcade, plus his appearance in Supergirl number 10, uh, plus his later appearances in Sandman, Vertigo Visions, Batman the Dark Knight Tricks again. Oh, that, that's the Frank Miller thing, because he was in Batman. They include the, the, the Vertigo stuff? I guess they do. And the Multiversity Guidebook. Yeah, Prez was a truly bizarre concept. The first teen president. It's a really, really handsome edition. 224 pages, normal price, $24.99. Inside trade price, $13.74. That's 45% off. One of the great, bizarre DC concepts of the 70s, and you get the whole thing in one book. You can't beat it. I picked something timely. So I picked uh, Star Trek Omnibus Volume 2. Early Voyages, trade paperback. Now, this was originally a comic, originally published by Marvel Comics under the imprint of Paramount Comics. I don't know if you remember that. Paramount I do remember that, yes. Yeah, it was around like 1996 or so. And some of these were actually really, really good. And one of them was The Early Voyages. And again, I promise I'm getting to this, but The Early Voyages, it takes place before Kirk's five-year mission. It's all about Pike's team. Christopher, Captain Christopher Pike on the Enterprise with Spock and, you know, uh, number one and his team and exploring the universe. And it only went 17 issues, but it's really, really good. Strong Star Trek comic books. Lots of fun. You know, there's a Star Trek movie coming out this uh, summer. It's the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. It's a great time to jump into some Star, com- Star Trek comics. And, oh, oh, it's written by Dan Abnett. So, uh, Dan Abnett and Ian Eddington. Ed- Ed- Edgington. Well, you know, we'll just ask Dan how to say it. Anyway, odds. Uh, it's got some great art. It's 436 pages. IDW produces these really nice omnibuses. So, folks, uh, or omnibuy, is that how you say it? Maybe? I think so, yeah. Omnibuses? Anyway, uh, definitely pick it up, folks. It normally retails for $24.99. You get out in stock trades for 30% off right now. It's only $17.49. Star Trek, 50th anniversary, great comics. Dan Abnett, it's a win all the way. So, folks, for this and your other trade paperback needs, please visit instocktrades.com. Okay, Rob, it is time to celebrate Aquaman. He has had a hell of a month, wouldn't you say? Well, sure, yeah. I mean, he is part of the big rebirth uh, thing going on. Uh, I mistakenly called it a reboot to somebody, and they took great offense that I called it that. So, uh, <laughs> To be fair, you were wrong in Aquaman's case. But Well, I, are, are the titles restarting? That's not a reboot. That's a, oh, All right, whatever. Reboot is you start the ideas back over. All right, whatever. Uh, anyway, yeah, Aquaman, the, re- the Rebirth comic came out, which we'll get to uh, momentarily. But, yeah, he's part of this whole big effort that they're doing. It's all very exciting. Well, can we, can we spend just a second, and I do mean just a moment, talking about DC Rebirth, that one-shot special? Sure. Because Aquaman had a few moments in there, right? Yes, he did, drawn by Joe Prado, Ivan Reese and Joe Prado again. Woohoo! That was and, great. And written by Jeff Johns. You want to tell everybody what happened? Because I, I got a little teary. Go right ahead. You go ahead. Aquaman went for a walk on the beach with his gorgeous, gorgeous lady friend, Mera. Got down on one knee, and she's like, what are you doing? He's like, it's a surface custom, baby. And he proposed. <laughs> I was going to say he popped the ring, but Literally I don't know if he, what he did said. or not. Yeah. Well, it's word for word. But, and, uh, and he proposed to Mera. Folks, they gave us back love in the DC Universe. 
We have a married Superman, and we have an engaged Aquaman again. Wee! Love. It's everywhere. You can feel it. Um, I, it was a great moment. I really, I got a little foot when I read it. It was very exciting, and uh, I, w- I was thrilled to see that. It was nice. It, you know what? They need to be married. It's going to be – man, that's going to be a hell of a wedding, you know? I hope uh, I hope everyone comes down with the globes on their head again. Like I, I hope they do that. Yes, yeah. Mercy Metamorpho Hunter, there? Metamorpho, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the Bob Heaney characters. Uh, they should just reprint Nick Cardi's original cover. That would be the best way to handle it, I think. That's true. So there was another thing in there, too. They reintroduced just – Briefly and barely, if you weren't paying attention, you didn't get it. They reintroduced a character, didn't they? Yes, Aqualad. What's his real name? Jackson? Is that right? Uh, yeah. So yeah, they introduced him. They uh, they told us that he's homosexual and that he's uh, looked depressed or something uh, over his situation. Glad to see he's back. That'll be interesting to see where that develops. Yeah, I mean, Johns has been wanting to. I mean, he brought him in way back in Brightest Day, and then they never kind of did anything with it. But yeah, obviously, this was something that probably Johns has wanted to do for a while. Well, they they did do something where they made him part of the Young Justice cartoon. Well, I mean in the comics. Yes, in the comics they never did anything, but he was a really important part. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. He was yeah. changed up a bit, but he was an important part of the Young Justice cartoon. And there's a lot of people that love this character, so I'm very excited to see him back in the comics. Very cool. It's, uh, more members of the Aqua family. I, I really want Aqua Girl. Come on. Somebody bring her back. <laughs> well, we've got her. They just got to change her name. Right. Yeah. It's not right. It's not the Lorena. It's uh, Tula, which is fine. So. Well, they they've given us Aqua Woman, which serves as a nice segue. Uh, yes, we're going to go right on to Aquaman number fifty-two, which is the final uh, issue of the current series. <laughs> <laughs> what issue did oh, fifty-six was the original run? Fifty-six. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I. I yeah. Okay. Uh, the name of the story is Out of Darkness. It's, of course, by Dan Abnett, and the art team is Vicente Suentes, Juan Castro, and Guy Major. Uh, when last we left Aquaman, he's being crushed underfoot by the villainous Scavenger, one of my favorites. He's tricked out uh, in a giant mech suit, but of course it takes more than that to defeat the Sea King. Aquaman takes the battle to Scavenger, uh, no matter whether he's in the mech suit or not. Uh, while he's trying to find out about the Scavenger's connection to John Payne, which is a.k.a. Deadwater, that creature that we saw in the last couple issues, back at Spindrift Station, Mira is trying to contain the aforementioned Deadwater, who was burst from the containment tube Aquaman has left him in. She uses her powers and gets him to sort of detransform back to his normal self, but using one of the seawater ducks, Deadwater escapes. Aquaman continues to fight with the scavenger, demanding to know what he knows about pain. Naturally, the scavenger isn't interested in helping Aquaman out, and he drives, uh, and it drives Aquaman to lose his patience, simply reach into the mech suit and pull a scavenger out by the face, which is... He is not having that nonsense really, anymore. really great moment, and there's a giant page where you just, he literally throws the scavenger headfirst into the ground, which is... Then there's like a great like skrunk uh, sound effect. <laughs> really good. I uh, left him no other options. The scavenger fesses up to how he knows pain. A while back, while doing some deep water work for hire, pain and his sub hit a patch of what they call strange water, a section of sea connected with bizarre phenomena. Finding themselves stuck with no way out, pain and his crew turned on each other for survival. Pain is the one who made it out, but disappeared without a trace after that. Uh, before the scavenger can continue, though, Deadwater arrives, leaving Aquaman to fight him again, and it ends with the Sea King ramming his trident through Pain's chest. This leaves unanswered questions, just like where this strange water is exactly. Later on in Amnesty Bay, Aquaman and Mira uh, join up together, and they share a nice little moonlight kiss over the sea, and that is the end of the issue and the end of this series of Aquaman comics. Did you like it? Yes, I did. 
I did. Uh, I like I said, I said last issue. I like Scavenger for no good reason. Uh, <laughs> I like <laughs> I liked him in his giant mech suit. I loved Aquaman just getting so mad that he just yanks him out of there. I, I sort of dig that. That Aquaman sort of maybe doesn't use his full power all the time, and then when he gets mad enough, he's like, "All right, enough of this." He just, you know, I I, I dug that. Uh, I like the whole sort, sort of a nice compliment to you know if you look at the bookends of issue one and issue fifty two. Issue one, he uses his strength to flip the the car the the whatever it is, the bank car, mm-hmm. and here he uses his strength to you know do that. So it's a nice little bookend there. Yeah, I mean, they've ramped him up a bit. Uh, we talked about this over on Film and Water when we talked about the Captain America Civil War, and I think it was Jeff Nettleton, he said he was sort of troubled by how strong Captain America is now in the comics. And I think they've done that with Aquaman a little. Like, Aquaman didn't used to be that strong. I mean, mm-hmm. back when Steve Skeets wrote Aquaman, you could knock him out with a hunk of wood over the head. <laughs> And now, you know, Aquaman is, like, practically Wonder Woman at this point in terms of strength levels. Maybe, like, a little bit below her, but not much. So they really ramped him up. But, uh, no, it's nice. It's a nice, you know, as as I talked about with, with Dan in the interview and what was going on here, this is a lot of stuff that's sort of, you know, setting things up for what was to come. Because as, as Dan didn't necessarily know that he was going to be doing the new version, but once he figured that out, then he was sort of holding some things back. So this is sort of clearing the decks for this new series. The weird, creepy water itself is still out there in the ocean, so we could get another. I mean, pain's gone, but we could get another incarnation of dead water again. Right. There's a right. There's the potential for that to happen again. So you know, it's it's Abnet. You know, keeping his options open for other villains to you know to pop up again, new villains yeah. to pop up, not just the old guys. I was very sad that Pain killed himself. It was a really, I mean, he literally, I mean, like, he's kind of creepy the way his mask, like, well, the, the, the Deadwater face pulled back almost like a mask, like a costume. Mm-hmm. You could see Pain's face, and then he sort of shoves himself onto the trident. It's like, oh, that was very sad. It made me actually feel bad for the guy. A um, couple quick things. Spindrift, they say, uh, they do say it's a, in Maine. And I was noticed looking at it, and it looks a lot like the rib cage. Of like a deceased animal, if you really look at the way the station looks, because I've been trying to figure out what the shape is and everything. Like it, it might be like a giant sea creature's rib cage. That would be kind of cool and creepy if it is. But take a good look at that, and I think you'll see what I mean. Yeah, I know. I, I did notice that. Yeah, it's uh... a. <laughs> well, made me think it was that weird part that sticks out, and I'm like, what is that? Oh, that's like the little bone that sticks out in between your ribs. Mara sucking the water out of dead water. Oh man, I love the way they've ramped up her powers too. Mm-hmm. I mean, just literally being able to suck the moisture out of the guy, you know, violent or aggressively, I think is the word she used. It's like, oh my gosh. Now, last issue when we talked about it, we talked about Mara's proportions were a little bit ridiculous. Uh, I did notice in this issue that she's still smoking hot, but her proportions seem to be a little more reasonable this time. Yeah. So I, I liked that, but there was some nice cheesecake. Now, by the way, when they're on the beach, was that her in her underwear? Because I think it was. Uh, it kind of looks like that way, yeah, because she's yeah, like a white tank top and a white, yeah. <laughs> no, or maybe it's pajamas or whatever. But anyway, thanks for that, guys. I appreciate going out on Aquaman with that. That's a, that's a nice way to end that. So I, I propose that Scavenger wins the Supervillain Boss of the Year Award because he's sitting here talking to Aquaman, and he's remembering a specific mission that happened a year ago and still remembers the specific henchmen that he sent on the mission. He knows their names, their family issues. He knows everything about these guys. I'm thinking he has got to have some seriously thick HR files on each one of his characters. He's, he's like the supervillain boss of the year. I mean it. So way to go, Mortimer. Congratulations. When he recovers, we're going to get him a plaque that says, you know, supervillain boss of the year. Good issue. I liked it. I thought it was a nice way to, to wrap it up. And I think Dan's done a great job bringing us back to an Aquaman we want to read about. Absolutely. 
So uh, let's move on because, I mean, Aquaman 52 was, was great, but I really want to talk about Aquaman Rebirth. Uh, number one, uh, although I think it's just going to be the one, so it's just Aquaman Rebirth. <laughs> it's not like it's Aquaman Rebirth too. But anyway, uh, this is of course by Dan Abnett as well. The artists are Scott Eaton, Oscar Jimenez, Mark Morales, and Gabe Eltabe. I don't know exactly how you say that. He's the colorist. Um, and this story is called The Drowning, which I don't think deals with Aquaman because he can't drown. Anyway, the long- <laughs> as far as I understand Aquaman, he can't drown. Uh, this long-awaited rebirth starts with an unknown narrator explaining the vastness of the planet's oceans and how one person compared to all that seems insignificant. Unless, of course, that one person is the king of the seven seas, Aquaman. And we have an amazing splash page of Aquaman in the western uh, Atlantic Sea, but we'll get to that in a moment. Anyway, Aquaman is on the trail of a rogue group of Atlantean terrorists known as the Deluge. Uh, this, the leader of this xen- xenophobic group of undersea fundamentalists accuses Aquaman of caring more for the surface world than Atlantis. So when the aquatic ace demands Coram Rath, the leader, stand down, his only response is to have his men attack. Meanwhile, Mira is back at Spindrift Station monitoring the fight, and she looks quite wonderful in her classic Mira togs. Uh, anyway, also at this moment, we see just what the surface world thinks of Aquaman. Of course, it's a mixed bag. Some regard him as a hero, like his fellow Justice Leaguers. Uh, one woman particularly talks about that he's quite a hunk. Uh, <laughs> other members, um, while others uh, only remember the events of a few months ago, back when uh, Orm attacked a number of American cities, almost wiping them off the face of the planet. Back at the battle, Aquaman takes another route, trying to talk to the giant sea beast that Wrath has enslaved into service. Uh, the fight spills onto a nearby beach where Wrath is perfectly happy to blow up instead of his original target, which was Boston. That's a wicked pissa. Having now turned the fight into a one-on-one scrap... Park the Aquaman <laughs> in the yard. <laughs> That's how it's added. Aquaman makes quick work of his foe, then asks Mira to send reinforcements to round up the group. Later on, Aquaman stops for a bite at a nearby restaurant where Mira joins him, and they have a nice little conversation about their relationship. Aquaman wonders aloud why the deluge chose this day to attack. She suggests that maybe it was the creation of Spindrift Station has aggravated the xenophobic bottom feeders of his kingdom. But, of course, the issue remains unresolved. Again, they go on, they talk about their relationship again, how important it is for Aquaman to remain connected to the surface world, and how Mira will continue to try and do the same for his sake. She also tries some chowder. Chowder. It's chowder. Uh, yeah. We then find out who our narrator is and how his plan to take down Aquaman starts with Mira. His belief is if you destroy her, you destroy Aquaman. And that's the only thing on the mind of, guess who? Dun, dun, dun. Black Manta. And uh, he's talking about how the destruction of Aquaman will be complete. And that is the end of Aquaman Rebirth. So, what did you think of this, Shag? I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was a great introduction for people who hadn't read the series before. If you had read the series, it felt like, a, and this is not a criticism, but it felt like a revisiting of Jeff Johns' number one is of Aquaman is what it felt like to me, especially since they ended up in the same diner. You know, I mean, it's, it, And that was very purposeful, I think. You know, Dan talked about that during the interview with him. He was trying to recapture some of what Jeff had done. So I, I really enjoyed it. Now, I want to talk about different bits of it here and there, and I've got a couple of nitpick things, which are not necessarily criticisms, but just, you know, nerd-noticing type stuff, you know how we are. <laughs> First off, though, you, you mentioned it in your recap, the gorgeous opening splash pages. Oh, my gosh. Beautiful with the, shot. With the fish, you know, the schools of fish swimming around. And, and I'm not even talking about the scene with Aquaman. I'm talking about just the fish on the first page. It is absolutely beautiful. And uh, the, these, this our team. Now, now I understand these are not the guys that are going to be doing the regular Aquaman book, but wow, they just knocked this out of the park. Gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. And I'm trying, I'm trying to get to that page. Forgive me, I'm, I'm vamping a bit. By the way, the the variant cover by I think it's uh, Brett. No, who did the variant cover? I forget. Well, it's the one, the one where he's standing on the DC logo. 
Yeah, it's really sharp. Yeah, it looks cool. I, I, I don't know how I'm not. I don't know how I feel about the DC logo. Okay, I do know how I feel about the DC logo, but I don't want to be mean. So anyway, um, but I like I like Aquaman in that you know disco pose, which is looks great. Now, can we talk about his costume for a second? Of course. So it is a little bit more of a return of the classic look. Mm-hmm. The the gloves don't have that sort of like big scallop thing. Right. We, yeah, we talked about that. How he he had like an almost an, an additional unit on his glove that appears to be gone. Um, and then the collar, no more Mandarin collar, which makes me really happy. I hated the Mandarin collars. They just, they all looked a little too silly, all of them wearing them. So he's got like the gold, you know, collar, low cut. It looks, it looks great. It looks very classic Aquaman. So very pleased with all this. Um, Mary, you mentioned Mary wearing her green togs, not Aquawoman anymore. Now in your interview, Dan talked about how that was a very purposeful thing to show how politically savvy she was taking on the Aquawoman role. But he didn't really say whether it was going to stop or continue. So I'm wondering if we're going to see her in the Aquawoman role again. Do you get a vibe for where that might go? I got the sense that, yeah, she will she will play that role when she needs to play it. And when she's not, she's Mira. Okay. So when, she's, when she's addressing, you know, the surface world, she's going to be Aquawoman. But but in, in here, where she's with her own people, she's, she's dressed like Mira. Okay. All right. Now, on that same page, we get Spindrift Station again. Which, uh, as I mentioned, looks like a ribcage of sorts, uh, of some uh, of some great beast. And here it says Spindrift Station, Atlantean Dryland Embassy, Massachusetts. It said Maine in Aquaman 52. Huh? Hmm. Now that's, yeah. my, that's, my, that's my bitchy nerdiness. Is that a misprint? Did they just decide to stick it in Massachusetts? Did it physically move? You know, now I'm now my curiosity's peaked because is it a, just a misprint or is somewhere along the lines, or did it actually move, which would be really interesting? Huh? I'm I'm thinking it's probably supposed to be Maine because you've got the you know you've got the seagulls flying around. It, it looks pretty much the same as we've seen it before. It makes more sense to be near the lighthouse, but since they did go to Boston this issue, I think maybe there was a bit of a mistake because there's another typographical mistake in this issue too. When the guy is complaining about the destruction of uh, the cities of, during that Throne of Atlantis story where it flooded right. the – they said, you know, in the story itself, it said it happened a few months ago. But the text on the screen says 2013. Yeah, that's right. It does. So there's two sort of typographical issues there. So I'm thinking that that might just be a small miscommunication somewhere in, in for both of those. Again, not the end of the world, folks. They're going to be producing two Aquaman comics a month. These kind of things are going to crop up. Who cares? If it's a fun read. That's awesome. So that, it's not really a bitching bitch, but it's you know, just nerdy stuff. I love the Aqua. Uh, I'm sorry, the Atlantean terrorists. Um, the Deluge. The Deluge. What a great name, too. Now that's the first time we've seen them, right? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they must have sprung up from that stuff that Jeff Parker did, which was those, those whole those all those guys that tried to assassinate Mira, and they were the kind of similar dudes. I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought that up because that's what I was leading to. Was that's that's what it reminded me of as well. And that the the bottom feeding line in there, folks. If you haven't read the comic, there's a bit where they they refer to themselves as Hadalin, which is apparently Atlantean word for bottom feeders, but it's not a negative connotation. It means that they're at the bottom. They're cleaning up the mess that falls from above, whether it be the Atlanteans' mess or even higher up the surface world. And I just thought that was really cool. That was a neat moment where. I like learning those bits of Atlantean culture without being too steeped in an Atlantean story. You know, it's still a, a surface-based story where Aquaman's trying to save the surface world, but we still got Atlantean bits. I thought it was a nice melding, a, a way to show Aquaman and still give us more Atlant- building the Atlantis ideas. Love mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. They also did a really nice job of, uh, of showing how Aquaman's reputation on the surface world as being a joke. 
you know, they had that goofy little cartoon and, and he's the guy who talks to fish. And, you know, Jeff had talked about that. I'm sorry. I said, Jeff, uh, Dan had talked to you about that in the interview. And, uh, I, I liked the way it played out here. I thought that was very good. I, I, I dug that. I, cause I mean, he's, he's absolutely right. He's, everyone still jokes about it. Oh, go talk to some fish and, uh, you know, face it head on, you know, challenge it and, um, showing people that they're wrong. I'm, I'm very happy with that. So chowder, doesn't that have fish in it? I, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't believe that he, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, Jeff Johns introduced that and I don't know if I like it. But... Oh, Jeff Johns did introduce that he eats chowder? Well, he that he that he eats seafood. Okay. And I'm kind of like, would he really eat seafood? But then it's like, but if you live under the sea, you you would probably not have that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I live I live on the surface. I eat surface animals. Yeah, I don't know exactly how I feel about that because again, Aquaman has a deep psychological connection to all the creatures in the sea. So then it would feel weird that he eats some of them. But, you know? but this issue addressed to that. It says he doesn't talk to fish. He commands them. Uh, but all right, but there's. <sighs> I'm okay with it. I, I'm perfectly fine with it. But you, I, but, I, I, but you made the comparison is that you eat surface animals, but you don't talk to the animals that you eat. I would think I that if you... To, I talk to my dog and cat all the time. And yet you, and you, you eat them? I'll eat a cow. Right. Do you talk to the cow? In fact, I'd rather be eating a burger than talking to you. Yeah. Well, I can appreciate that. But I, I'm just saying... <laughs> Says the vegetarian. <laughs> I'm just... I, 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 yeah. I, I don't know. I like to think that Aquaman would, would just eat seaweed. He would just okay. eat seaweed. All right. That he would that using. <laughs> oh, I, no, don't, don't bring back the kelp farmers, please. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I think we need more <laughs> of the kelp farming storyline that was completely shunted off to the side in 1975. Uh, I, I, I think that with Atlantean technology, he can make soy patties or something. I don't know. I, again, I, I, this reminds me of many, many years ago where I was describing to somebody, I forget who, where I was saying that I think this was back when Aquaman had long hair. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, oh, they should just – I'm like, I don't like that he has long hair. I, that makes no sense that he's under the under the water. He should shave his head. And then my friend is like, would he keep the, the goatee? And I was like, yeah, okay. And he goes, so Aquaman would look like you then. <laughs> so I don't want to do too much of Aquaman to just be like me. But I, I just – I don't know. I, it always – it bothers me a little that Aquaman eats any of the creatures of the sea. That's <laughs> I love how that's connected to hair, but whatever. Um <laughs> With our big cliffhanger of Black Manta, because, you know, there's only two Aquaman villains. Uh, and I mean that jokingly. Um, it, well, so, this issue clearly does what you mentioned. It's 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 a primer yeah. for new fans, potentially. And if you're going to do new fans, who are you going to bring in? You're going to bring in the, the, the big bad. You're get, you, 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 I'm sure that the Batman rebirth has the Joker in it. So, well, And I'm sure uh, Ocean Master somewhere around the corner. And yeah, that's okay. Yep. You know, yeah. But then we're getting Scavenger. We're getting Deep Water. We're getting the, the, the Refuge. Uh, not the Refuge. The Deluge. The, so we're <laughs> the Refuge. I didn't mean to say that. Um, so, all right, Black Mana, question for you. First of all, they, they, he references that Aquaman killed his father because right. that happened in uh, Jeff Johns' run. That right. was cool. Now, now that they've reintroduced Jackson, the, the Aqualad character, in Brightest Day, he was Black Mana's son. Right. I wonder if that's still the case. That's, I don't know. That could make for an interesting thing, because we, we only saw the Aqualad character in DC Rebirth. We did not see him in any of the Aquaman books. So it's possible he may not even show up in Aquaman. He may just go to a Teen Titans book or something. Uh, who knows? So I, I'm very curious to see where that's going. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I have no word of that, so we'll, we'll see what <laughs> happens. All right. Cool. Well, well, it was good. A good, good, good table setting 
for what's going, what's coming on. I you have to figure with the movie with Justice League coming out that they're hoping there's going to be new Aquaman fans, and you want to give them the dreaded jumping off, jumping on point. You know, uh, but I hate to use that. Freudian phrase. slip there. <laughs> yeah, jumping on the jumping on point. Uh, but th- this this does that. It, it sets up the relationships. Aquaman Mirror, why they're so connected to one another. Uh, it brings in one of his big villains. It sets up the the tension that Aquaman has. About that he's the man of two worlds and he's trying to fight to retain both. So, it, you know, if you were new to Aquaman, this would be a great comic for you to start with. Because you just get everything you need at this point and be like, okay, we're ready to go from here. Yeah, it's really, really well done. Uh, Dan did an excellent job. And uh, I'm just thrilled. And it looks terrific. I think it looked good. I mean, I, I some of the art style changes from page to page were a little, threw me off a little. But overall, uh, I, I thought, and overall, I thought it looked, uh, looked terrific. Before we close out the Aquaman segment, I just want to say publicly, I want to go on record how mad I am at you, which is not really a different state than normal, but uh, when you interviewed Dan Abnett for not talking about his amazing Doctor Who novel, The Silent Stars Go By. It's so good. As I said on Facebook when David Gutierrez brought it up, you want to talk about Doctor Who? You interview him. I offered to, and you said, no, I got this, Shag. No, thanks. (laughs) Right. Ugh. Oh, I hate you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Start your Doctor Who shrine, and you can go from there. I wasn't going to waste my precious time talking to the man on Memorial Day to talk about Doctor Who. I don't care. He does, though. We're here to talk about Aquaman. If if you get a chance to interview him again, can I please be there? Because I have some great ideas for a lightning round that he would love. No. Oh. All right, we're moving on. I'm tired of you. (laughs) All right, folks, we are going to talk about Firestorm now. We're going to cover Legends of Tomorrow number three and number four, because number four just came out this week. And we're going to primarily focus on Firestorm. I think we will mention the other stories in in the book, but uh, really we're going to have to, due to the time we're up against here, we're going to have to really narrow it down to the guy whose head's on fire. All right, so we start off with a cover by uh, Kevin... What are you laughing at? I love this cover. Oh, okay. It is a great cover. We start off with a cover by Kevin Nolan. So, all right, what do you think of the cover? Oh, I love it. It's it's so much fun. It's very 60s. It's got all four characters split into their own little panels. Sugar and Spike is actually the main, the main focus here, and yep. it's referencing one of the classic Wonder Woman stories, one of the goofier Wonder Woman stories of all time. I love Kevin Nolan. I always have. It's got the Metal Men running. Firestorm's kind of tucked off to the side, and Metamorphosis. It's beautiful. I love every bit of it. Well, I like what they've been doing with these uh, Legends of Tomorrow covers. Each one of the four stories gets the central focus so right. far. So Firestorm was the focus of issue number one's cover. Metamorphosis the focus of number two cover. Uh, you know, Sugar and Spike are the cover of number four. So it's Metal Men of the next Three. one. So it's, it's, it's nice the way they balanced it all. Now, I have a question here. Two questions, actually. All right. Look at, the co- look at Metamorpho's face. Look at Firestorm's face. Look at the Metal Men's face. Then look at Sugar and Spike's faces. I get the sense that maybe they made him redraw Sugar and Spike's faces. Because everyone else's face is of a certain style. And Sugar and Spike's faces are very different. I, I'm okay. not, I'm not, not seeing, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. All right. Then my next question for you. Is Sugar, is she being pretty sexualized on the cover? Or do I just really have the hots for her and um, can't stop staring at it? I, I'm not seeing that either. What do you mean? Okay. I just think she looks sexy as hell on that cover. But well, that's just me. Okay. Uh, All right. 
has nothing to do with Firestorm, so let's move on. <laughs> All right, folks, when we get inside, it is United We Fall, Part 3. Writer, Jerry Conway. Penciler, Eduardo Panseca. Inker, Rob Hunter. Colorist, Andrew Dalhouse. Letterer, Corey Breen. Editor, Jessica Chin. Firestorm created by Jerry Conway and Al Milgram. Ding! Please remember all of that, because I ain't reading it when we get to issue four, because it's the same folks. All right. This issue at a 10,000-foot level. Um, it Shut up. <laughs> you always mock me. It's not fair. <laughs> anyway, at a 10,000-foot level, this story <laughs> is it's a, it's a long-running fight scene, okay? And that's fine. But really, when you get down to it, this issue is about Ronnie and the professor learning to trust each other while they share the Firestorm form. That's what this story's, this issue's really about. Um, then you get into it, there's lots of very clever time-shifting throughout the story with multiple time zones, so you kind of got to have to do the math, like, wait, that's two hours, okay, that's three hours, oh, wait, that's only one hour apart. And uh, so you really have to pay attention. But, uh, the, as I mentioned, the entire issue is a running battle between Major Force and Firestorm. As I'm do- doing my recap here, I'm going to talk about Professor Stein, and I'm going to talk about Ronnie Raymond, Understand that they are fused as Firestorm the entire issue. So when I'm talking about them, it's still with them in the Firestorm form. Okay. All right, the story opens with Major Force beating the Shaz out of Firestorm. Uh, Major Force is trying to bring Firestorm in. He says Firestorm is an ally of Professor Martin Stein, and they are both suspected of helping Danton Black, who's also known as Multiplex, because Multiplex has uh, committed this horrible breach of national security. And sort of the frustrating part for Firestorm is both Major Force and Firestorm want the same thing. They both want to track down Dan Black. But Major Force is pretty much just happy to beat on Firestorm. Really, he's holding a grudge from their last fight, which was back in the final issue of the New 52 Firestorm series. They fought each other. Um, Ronnie gets really knocked for a loop and uh, is trying to shake it off. He can't really think straight. Professor Stein, as the onboard advisor, is suggesting Ronnie create a protective shield as Major Force is about to hit on them. And I don't mean that in 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 a good way. Anyway, Ronnie is too incoherent to respond. Professor Stein actually takes control of the Firestorm body and tries to create a protective shield around them. Stein finds out just how difficult it is to, uh, to do the transmutation power and how much concentration it takes. Stein is not very successful, and Ronnie returns to his senses. Ronnie's pretty uncomfortable with what just happened. He basically says Professor Stein uh, body hacked him, which I thought was a pretty funny term, and was not liking that Professor Stein took control of him. Then we jump back in time for a flashback two and a half hours earlier, and they're over Lake Superior. The Ronnie Professor are, they're still getting used to each other, because remember last issue, they just became Firestorm for the first time. Ronnie points out that the Professor has trust issues, and it's possibly all stemming from Danton Black betraying the Professor. He was Professor Stein's assistant, and then uh, betrayed him, and Stein hasn't gotten over that. Because uh, a good example, Ronnie says, is the Professor never mentioned to Ronnie that he was going to replace Jason in the Firestorm Matrix. He just did it. And so there's, there's some real trust issues going on. To prove that Ronnie trusts the Professor... He does that whole classic workplace trust fall thing where you trust that someone's going to catch you, except right. they're sharing a body. Except Firestorm plummets from the sky towards Lake Superior. Ronnie insists that Professor Stein save them. And at the last second, the Professor takes control of their powers and actually transmutes some of the water into an enormous pillow to catch Firestorm. It's a great classic Firestorm moment. Absolutely loved it. Then we jump back to the present, to my beloved Portland, Oregon. And Ronnie and the Professor are discussing trust again. So it's seg- even though it's a flashback thing, it segues really nicely. So the trust is the issue. Does the Professor trust Ronnie? So Professor says yes, and together they pour on the energy, blasting Major Force. They knock Major Force for a loop. Meanwhile, General Angry McAngry Eiling has been watching. He's giving uh, Major Force authorization to use 
any force necessary to take down Firestorm. And General Angry McAngry Eiling starts heading towards Portland. He's going to get involved in the fight. The fight continues. Once again, Ronnie's having a hard time keeping it together. So Professor Stein once again takes over the powers. Uh, this time, I guess it didn't bother Ronnie, but he transmutes the protective barriers and makes these giant metal gloves to punch Major Force with. We get another flashback. I know, it, it's, it is confusing, but what Jerry Conway did here by doing these flashbacks, he took what would have been pretty much just a straightforward fight seen through the issue by cutting it back and forth and interlacing it with the trust issues. It makes for a really nice, creative, uh, clever way to read the story. So, so forgive me for going back and forth. So, uh, we go back this time. It's a few hours ago at one of Multiplex's old hideout hideouts. Uh, Professor Stein's tracked him down there near Mount St. Helens. So the hideout's abandoned. We find out that more about Danton Black's betrayal of Professor Stein. Turns out that Stein thought of Danton Black as family, basically. He thought of Danton Black as the son he never had. Then when Black left and stole the professor's data, he felt like a fool, and he felt betrayed. So it's a very sad tale there. It's about this time that Stein realizes what Danton Black, or Multiplex, is building. He's building a quantum field replicator, you know, that old thing. And uh, it could destabilize reality. That's about when Major Force shows up, which starts the fight, which neatly takes us right back to the beginning of the issue. So we get another cutaway scene, and this time it's in Wyoming. This is, we get Multiplex himself basically explaining what the professor already said, and he doesn't care about the risk to all of reality. Finally, the issue wraps up. It's back in the present in Portland. The fighting's continuing. Major Force actually kind of stops fighting for a minute and starts talking. And suddenly Firestorm gets trapped inside an energy bubble. Turns out Major Force was actually stalling, waiting for General McAngry, Angry Stein, um, or McAngry Eiling to show up. And the issue ends with Firestorm being captured by the General and Major Force. To be continued. Dun, dun, dun! Now, I figure I'll go ahead and recap number four, and then we'll just discuss the, uh, the, the issue. Is that okay with you, Rob? All right, go right ahead. Oh, you know what I just realized? I don't really care what your opinion is. I'm going to do it my way anyway. So, super. Perfect. That's how I roll, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Legends of Tomorrow, number four. We have got a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous Francis Manipal cover. I love his artwork. I love his stories. His flash is some of my favorite flash in years. And this is a gorgeous cover. It's got the Metal Men front and center. You've got Metamorpho in the background. You've got Firestorm just off on the left coming. Um, Looks like he's sort of bursting through Platinum's right shoulder. And then you've got Sugar and Spike on the bottom. And everyone looks perfectly on model. The art is gorgeous. The coloring is gorgeous. I think this is my favorite cover so far. It's, it's stunning. All right, let's get into the issue. Uh, same creative team as in the inside. At, at, let's get into the issue, folks. All right, at a 10,000-foot level, this issue is... Ugh, this, <laughs> at a 10,000-foot level, this issue is about proving Jason Rush still has value as an ally to Firestorm. So while he's not part of the Matrix anymore, he's still a vital part of Firestorm's heroic activities. That's what this issue is proving, and that's what it's about. So uh, it's the next morning uh, from the last issue, and Firestorm is being held in a NASCA facility near Atlanta. General Angry McAngry Eiling doesn't trust Firestorm. He says he's dangerous and unpredictable, and he's linked some way to Multiplex. And he wants Firestorm to tell him where to find Professor Martinstein and Danton Black. They're keeping Firestorm in this magnetic containment field, which apparently acts like a plasma bottle, you know, that old chestnut, uh, which is used to control fusion reactions. Firestorm is in agony, and Ronnie's, ha once again, he's having trouble thinking straight, can't really keep it together. Major Force has had some sort of change of heart here, and he doesn't really feel like keeping Firestorm trapped in agony. Ag ag that's a tough word to say. Agony. <laughs> I, I should know it. I mean, I experience it every week when I record with you. Anyway, Firestorm's trapped in agony, and he, Major Force doesn't feel that that's the right thing to do. 
Professor Stein's worried about the impact of this on the Firestorm form and the danger of this this containment, this plasma bottle, destabilizing the Firestorm matrix. It could go critical, and they could die, and it take out who knows how much in the explosion. However, Ryan, Ronnie is more worried about their secret identities and doesn't want to give up Professor Stein. Meanwhile, back in Pittsburgh, and this is where we really get to the meat of the issue. Back in Pittsburgh, uh, Firestorm's Scooby-Doo gang are worried about him. And the Scooby-Doo gang there is made up of Jason Rush, his dad Alvin Rush, Ronnie's mom, Joanne, and Ronnie and Jason's mutual friend, Tanya. Now that Jason's out of the hospital from last issue, they go looking for Firestorm at Professor Stein's lab. When they don't find him, Jason puts on a special Cerebro helmet that uh, previously allowed Professor Stein to communicate with Ronnie and Jason when they were infused as Firestorm. And as luck would have it, the Cerebro helmet works and connects Jason mentally with Firestorm. Hooray! Jason senses Firestorm's pain and manages to get... Um, he gets a really big info dump, actually. In all of like a matter of a second, he got this huge info dump. And so he's completely up to speed on what's going on. Rather than risk telling the military and, you know, being spirited away themselves because, you know, the government covers things up, the Firestorm Scooby gang piles into a car and they start driving to Atlanta to find Firestorm. Jason uses the helmet to track Firestorm's location and off they go. Meanwhile, in Wyoming, we look in on Multiplex and his hostage, Dr. Cunningham. And, uh, boy, they really did a good job making Multiplex creepy here. Multiplex discusses the quantum uncertainty, is what he calls it, of his duplicates. Uh, apparently, each duplicate believes they are the original Dan Black. And yet each of them knows that's impossible. And the way he explains it, they exist as a single particle and as m a multiple waveform. Their, their existence is impossible, and yet they embody the concept of potentiality. Whew, a lot of cool ideas, a lot of big ideas Jerry's playing with here. So the quantum field generator that he's building is hoping to resolve their potential. However, it risks destroying all of reality, and Multiplex just doesn't care. Uh, he says if, if, if it all goes south, he can just find another reality. So sounds like he's, you know, he's got some funky stuff going on there. Then we go back to the Firestorm Scooby gang, and they arrive just outside the Nazca base. Jason dons the Cerebro helmet once again and is mentally connected to the fire, to Firestorm with Professor and Ronnie. It's, it's kind of cool. It's like having Firestorm with two floating heads. He's got the floating head of the Professor, uh, which has the sort of severed neck, and he's got the floating head of Jason, which is just cleanly goes off right at the jawline. And uh, the energy field is breaking down over uh, Firestorm, and the nuclear bonds are starting to break down. He's going to go critical. He's going to melt down. Jason removes the helmet and devises a plan because they're outside the base. He devises a plan to cut the power to the containment field by destroying a power transformer that's outside the base. Meanwhile, Major Victory leaps into action to try and free Firestorm himself from the energy field by, well, he's using force. He's Major Force, so it makes sense. Jason and his dad drive a car into the power transformer, successfully freeing Firestorm from the energy field. Hooray! Firestorm escapes the base. Major Force then relieves General Angry McAngry Eiling of command. It's kind of a, wow, look at that. Major Force stepped up told, and busted the guy in rank, basically, and said he's that General uh, Angry McAngry has gone too far. Outside, Firestorm regroups with the Firestorm Scooby Gang and informs them what Multiplex is planning, and then it's bad. It's end-of-the-world kind of bad. To be continued. Dun, dun, dun! What'd you think, buddy? Uh, I, I've never been that big on Major Force, so yeah. I'm kind of like, eh, okay. You know, um, perfectly fine with it. I liked all the stuff with Ronnie and, and, and the Professor and all the other supporting characters. I feel like 
this is um like if this had been Firestorm Comics in 1982, there would have been a little less action and more character stuff. Hmm. And I just think now that you know we just I think modern comic fans are like no more things blowing up and other things hitting other things. So I think there's like <laughs> there's just a ton of action in these two segments, especially number three. So um I liked him just fine. It just wasn't as like you know, like, oh, super, super than I was about the first two seconds. Interesting. I don't feel the same way. Um, I feel like number three, yes, was actiony, actiony, but I feel like number four is almost entirely character because it's just Jason's story. And uh, there's not a lot of Firestorm story. Uh, well, there is Firestorm moments, but he's just trapped in a bubble. He's not going anywhere. So I felt like number four was very talky, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It, it's interesting. It, do, covering these two issues together, I'm actually glad this worked out this way because issue number three is basically a Ronnie and Professor story. Issue number four is a Jason story. And read individually, I don't know that they'd be as strong as read together. Read together, they make a really nice balance for each other. Um, and so I, it, it just goes to show that this is going to be an incredibly awesome trade paperback. So I'm, I'm thrilled when that comes out. So I, I guess I, I, I'm, I don't agree with you as far as it being too action-y. So you're pretty much just wrong. It's kind of how that okay, goes down. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> let's, let's get into the characters for just a minute. Ronnie and the Professor, the trust issues. I loved the trust discussion. Uh, learning to work together, I thought that was really, well, really good. I loved the uh, workplace trust fall. That was hysterical. And did you see what you got? What do you mean? You got a giant pillow. Well, that's true. Yeah, that that sure I did mention in last yep. month that there, there haven't been a lot of those like funny firestorm constructs, and that that definitely was one of them. Because yeah, in the old days he would have turned into a giant chicken or a rubber ducky or something. Yep. Yeah, that's that's true. The pillow is very much that. That was clearly uh, a result of your comment on the previous show. I'm sure so. Jerry changes his scripts based on my random comments. I, I believe it completely. Um, <laughs> Professor Stein and Multiplex, or Danton Black, that was very sad. Because they, they explained in the issue, you know, Professor Stein's family died. His parents died while he was at MIT. He didn't have any luck with the ladies. Uh, Danton Black was first a student, then an assistant, and then a friend. And he really did see this guy as his, as a son. And... Now, this doesn't parallel the original continuity, but I feel like the spirit of the concept is still there. You know, Stein is somewhat of a broken man, and he has difficulty relating to other people. I mean, that that was a big focus on that Secret Origins issue, number four, where it's all about Stein's history and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that, like in a little snapshot, in one word balloon, they were able to sort of say, he's still the same guy. He's got a little bit of a different history, but the same issues are there. So I, I was pleased to see how they developed that. Jason? Uh, I thought they did a good job showing how Jason can still be involved with the Firestorm Matrix. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how it develops. I imagine this is going to be the new model. You know, Ronnie and, Pro- and Professor as Firestorm, and Jason will serve as sort of the ground crew with the Cerebro helmet and be a, a, another floating head advisor. Now, the only thing I take issue with there is, and maybe we'll see it next issue, I would fully expect a scene where Jason's talking to either Firestorm or the Professor, you know, whatever, saying, okay, Professor, um, let's get you out of there and put me back in Firestorm now. Because, you know, he's been Firestorm for a while now. He's used to being a hero. He's used to being the action guy. I can't imagine Jason just, you know, stepping away from it. Because you think about as Firestorm, you know, he's gone to Paris. He's gone all over the world. He has saved the world. He has made out with super hot Firehawk chicks. He's done a lot <laughs> as Firestorm. And either individually as his own Firestorm or when they merged. He's been part of the Justice League, you know? He's hung out with Superman, for goodness sake, and Wonder Woman. So I can't imagine he's going to want to step away from that life. So I, I, for me, I need a scene where he's like, what? What do you mean I can't be Firestorm again? That ain't cool. 
That's the only. That's probably my only complaint, really. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Major Force because I'm not a huge fan of the character either. However, the role reversal in issue number four, I'm not sure if that's going somewhere. You know where he, you know, he stood up for Firestorm basically as mm-hmm. a prisoner of war, and and bumped the general. You know, basically took command from the general. I, I don't know whether that's you know going somewhere or that was just a necessity to move the plot. I'm not sure, but it would be interesting because we don't we haven't seen his history. You know, this is a different major force. This is not the pre, you know the the pre Flashpoint major force. So so far we haven't seen him be rapey or put people in refrigerators. Um, <laughs> Thank goodness for that. I know. So he could actually turn out to be just sort of a superpowered soldier who's a bit of a douche, but you know he does the right thing maybe. So it would be interesting to see that character developed more. Rather, and, and maybe he was in the Captain Adam book. I don't know. Uh, I don't think anyone read that by J. Jones. So um, maybe they have developed him more, and I just didn't realize it. But I would be interested to see that character more if he's a more of a force for positivity, I guess is where I'm going with that. He can be an antagonist without being a villain, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, the Scooby Gang. That's that's fires from Scooby Gang, and I got maybe I'll come up with a better term for it, but I thought that was kind of cute. I like the way they they included them. That was a nice way to keep the supporting characters. Jerry's Jerry's a master of keeping the supporting cast involved in the story. He always is. Um, but I have to say, those are some seriously trusting parents. Um, you know, my own teenager, I, I I barely trust him with the car keys, uh, let alone trusting him with you know saving the, the world. <laughs> so Joanne and Alvin, you you have hearts of gold, my friends. Uh, I'm I'm very impressed with your your trustworthiness of your kids. <laughs> I thought it was very clever, Farstrom. And going back to transmutation, when the professor gathered a bunch of the metal that was there and created a giant metal glove to punch uh, Major Force with, I can't remember a time Firestorm's ever done anything like that to basically create a, a stronger punch. I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's really, really clever. And it made for a great uh, art, artistic scene. I mean, the artwork in this, these issues alone is, I, even if you step away from the story, they're gorgeous. I mean, the, uh, the splash page in number four with Firestorm mm-hmm. trapped in the bubble and they're yep. all staring down at him, I, that staggers me how long that took to draw. Oh. And, and then to ink and to color. That is, ugh. Oh my god, that, that was just so much work. All that metal stuff, all the oh, machinery yeah. to do it all in that perspective, and then have all the figures. That is just like that's so much work. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're talking about. The background. Wow, that is a lot of minutia. It just goes on forever. It's really impressive. And you mentioned the, the 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 faces and stuff. I mean, he did a really good job keeping everyone on model. I mean, Professor Stein looks like the new Fifty Two version of Professor Stein. Everyone looks great throughout the issues. The the panel design is very dynamic. This guy has a great sense of storytelling i'm i'm really 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 impressed i i i don't know if i've ever seen any um i'm trying to get to the guy's name forgive me i don't know if i've ever seen any eduardo pansica artwork and with rob hunter before but i hope i get this chance to see them again i was really really impressed with their art and you i'm glad you mentioned the coloring too because a, there's a lot of amazing coloring in this like the, the the crackle of the firestorm's fire a lot of that's done in the coloring it looks awesome. There's an amazing panel in issue four where Major Force is trying to get Firestorm out of the uh, the energy containment, and it's all of Major Force's purple energy up against Firestorm's yellow flames in this scene, and it's just so striking. It's just like wow, that the colors just explode off the page. It's really really impressive. Yeah, it's really very it's a very handsome book, and yet so Martin Stein looks to me a little more like Victor Garber than he normally would. Oh, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Let me yeah. see here. 
Maybe so. I think maybe a little so. bit. Uh, maybe it's just the gray hair. Maybe it's just more than that than anything. <laughs> but yeah, it's a very handsome looking book. The, 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 those guys are a nice team. It's in the coloring nice. Instead, it's, it's really, yeah, it's very handsome to look at. They, they did a nice job making Multiplex creepy, too. I mean, when he's got the mask off and he's got his hair slicked back and the dark eyes, I mean, he really looks like a, you know, like a, when you see a guy in the street, you're like, ooh, he's a creeper. I mean, that's the kind of dude you're like, ooh, I don't, wanna, I don't want him near my daughter. And uh, his, I like his device he's building. It looks like a DNA helix kind of. I mean, it's really, really cool mm-hmm. way he, he did that. Nice. Very nice. So I think that's going to, I think that pretty much covers my thoughts on it. I'm really enjoying it. Um, Again, I do feel like three and four are probably read better together, and and the answer there again is it's it's going to make a great trade, and that's really what they're trying to do with all these Legends of Tomorrow stories. Each one's going to be six issues. They're going to slap it together. It's going to be each one's probably going to get their own trade. It's going to be gorgeous. I'm definitely buying the Firestorm trade. I'm definitely buying the Sugar and Spike. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely buying the Sugar and Spike one. No do you want Do you want to mention real briefly the other stories? I mean, uh, the, the the Metal Men has been fun. I love the Metal Men. Um, I, I don't. We don't really have a lot of time to go into it. Why don't we just talk about Sugar and Spike for just a second? Because we, I think we both. It's fair to say that that's our that's our favorite. We absolutely love it. Yeah, I enjoyed them both very much. I liked number three a little more just because it was tied into that incredibly goofy Wonder Woman story, which <laughs> I loved. The Wonder Woman marries an alien. That's just one of the great completely wacky Silver Age stories. No, I, I find this uh, a very consistent feature. I'm pleasantly surprised. Every, everyone knows how much I love Sugar and Spike. And, you know, again, this isn't really Sugar and Spike, but it's a nice way to you know, do something different with it because obviously, you know, until they're ready to have old Baltazar do Sugar and Spike the way Sheldon Mayer did it, it's a nice way to dust these characters off, make them adults, and give them something fun to do. And it's, it has a real charm to it. So this is that was a very pleasant surprise, the Sugar and Spike feature. Now, I, I have to be completely honest. In, in full disclosure, I just got Legends of Tomorrow number four moments before we recorded. So I haven't even read the Sugar and Spike segment yet. So I can really only talk towards issue number three. Again, love the artwork. Love the story. The bits with Wonder Woman are hilarious. The bit where Spike is just completely in love with Wonder Woman. I mean, there's a part where he's just like, your hair, that hairstyle really works on you. It's like out of left field because clearly he's not thinking about anything about how much he loves her, you know. And so I, I love the leading question there in issue number three where, you know, he, he mentions her birthday and says, why don't you let it go? And then she punches him in the junk and he's on the ground. And I'm telling you, I, I think I have a huge crush on Sugar. I It's, you know, it's kind of weird when I think back to them being just little kids, but she's tough yeah i'm always attracted to you know strong women and she's gorgeous and the cover number three she looks so sexy I... they're charming characters as i said they've done a giffen's done a really good job with them I, i'm like said i'm pleasantly i really was kind of like Ugh, when i first heard about oh, it but everyone I was it. Yeah. yeah yep well i think i think i'm swooning a little over sugar though. i'm just saying just saying putting that out there but she's she's kind of um what's the word i'm looking for hot I think is a good way to say it. Anyway, uh, and, and I, I'm kind of happy to say, and we're about to get into listener feedback, which is a nice segue here. I'm happy to say I think we've convinced a lot of people to read the book uh, beyond just Firestorm, and we're seeing a lot of positive feedback on Sugar and Spike, and they're saying the same kind of things. They're saying, like, I never would have expected the story to be good, and I never would have read it if it hadn't been in the Legends of Tomorrow format. Well, why don't we, why don't we go to break? We'll play a couple podcast promos, and when we come back, uh, just like the feedback I was mentioning, we will do your listener feedback. Once upon a time, five friends who met on the Bot Talk Transformers forum set out to develop a podcast dedicated to their various interests. Transformers, science fiction, fantasy, and comic books. 
part fanboys and part souls, they came to be known as the fan holes. Their unbridled enthusiasm for podcasting did not end there, and soon enough, their proper podcast spun off into the fan holes network of podcasts. Besides our podcast proper, the Fanholes soon had a continuum of genre-specific, focused shows such as Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, and Sentai Saturdays. New weekly content can be found on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. Fanholes Podcast, the pop culture podcast, made for the fans, by the fans. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com Hi, this is Dan Abbott, and you're listening to the Fire and Water Podcast. All right, folks, we're back from break, and now it's time for... Listeners feedback, and we're going to be covering your feedback from episode 164. But before we go any further, we should mention that those comics we just talked about—you can see some images from those issues on our website. Rob, why don't you tell them the, the URL for our website? Fireandwaterpodcast.com. There you go, and go out to the uh, Fire and Water Show. So it's uh, if you go up to shows, you'll see Aquaman and Firestorm. Fire and Water Podcast to go there, and you'll find the post where the MP3 files posted for this episode. Right beneath that, there'll be a gallery post. So it'll be episode 167 gallery post. You'll see several images from these issues, and you get to check it out. And uh, so if you don't own the comics, you can see what we're talking about. Or if you want to focus in on a certain panel of, oh, I don't know, Marin or underwear or something, that would be the place to find that. So uh, we're going to jump into your feedback now, folks. We're going to start with your iTunes reviews. Now, I just mentioned you can go up to our website and see all the various shows. And you may recall from previous episodes, I talked about how we split off the various shows into their own iTunes feeds. Well, the Aquaman and Firestorm Fire and Water podcast needs your help, folks. The original feed had over 100 reviews, which is amazing. And I can't tell you guys how much that means to us and how much that helps raise the profile of the show. Uh, Now, the individual feed needs your help. Uh, the new feed currently has 23 reviews, which is really, honestly, quite healthy. But I'm hoping to get it to, oh, I don't know, 400 maybe <laughs> by um, by December. So let's see what we can do, folks. Uh, get on that if you would. And one final note on that: our friend Cisco pointed out, if you're in another country and you leave us a review, please tell us because otherwise, iTunes, uh, the American version that we use or the United States version we use, doesn't show reviews for other countries. So our Canadian friends, we don't know you review unless we go out and look. And I'm not going to look in Albania or um, Transylvania or uh, Markovia anytime soon unless someone tells me to. All right, let's get to our first review uh, on iTunes. This comes from Jay Jones, who goes by FKA Jason. He's from the Silver and Gold podcast. He says, it really is good. 
I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging, them th dragging themselves through the quarter bins at dawn, looking for an angry fix. An old copy of The Fury of Firestorm, the nuclear man, featuring Slipknot, or a battered Peter David Aquaman, if they only knew the majesty of Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast. Angel-headed hipsters burning from the ancient heavenly connection to the starry dynamo in the machinery of night, the fiery hair of Ronnie Raymond, the sodden underpants of the King of the Seven Seas. These guys talk Talk for talk real good about Firestorm and Aquaman, a combination that shouldn't work but does. They've carved out an internet empire from this Keystone podcast, so they must be doing something right. That's a pretty amazing review. I mean, you've got underpants jokes, you've got Slipknot, you've got something from Allen Ginsberg. It's pretty good. Pretty pretty good job, JJ. <laughs> well done. Uh, we got a review from Chaos One Three Six Nine Two Five. Best podcast I've listened to. <laughs> Note, I've only listened to one podcast. Some, <laughs> some people may think to themselves, Aquaman and Firestorm. How do these two end up having a podcast at all, much less together? Well, if you're one of those people, you really need to realize these two are easily in the top ten of DC characters. You've got Shag and that other dweeb hosting the show. Just kidding, Rob, because you do a great job as well. <laughs> Ouch. I love that's the whole insult and then say you're kidding and that makes it okay. Running Rodney Dangerfield. And doing a great job in spreading their love for these characters, their stories, and often time showing love for other characters in the DCU. Lady cop. About the only thing that could make the show any better would be if they shared my love for Nightwing and Cyborg and reviewed them each month as well. I suppose we could do that. But we're not gonna. No. Uh, then we heard from the jaw guy i don't know if that's jay guy or jaw guy this is life-changing you might not think that an aquaman firestorm centric podcast would change your life but you'd be wrong the fire and water podcast is responsible for me finding a wonderful community of like-minded comic fans online and the community is fantastic rob and shag are tremendous hosts and this show has single-handedly given birth to a multitude of additional podcasts the chemistry is wonderful the tone is positive the guest hosts are delightful and the interviews with top talent in the field are gems this is a must listen for fans of these characters and lovers of the dcu you know these these messages on itunes are so amazing and so wonderful and so like ego building for me my head is like swollen three times bigger um and i do want to say folks by the way we're the iTunes reviews get a special mention. Since, since the iTunes reviews are so important to promoting the show, we actually take the time to read the whole thing. So this, the rest of the segment is not going to be just us patting ourselves on the back, although we probably should. Uh, so forgive us as we read all the entire comment for iTunes. It's sort of our gift back to the people who took the time to write those. And if you would be so kind to go out and write them, we will read yours as well. Just saying. All right. Her former buddy, Aaron Head Moss, who's from the Headcast Network, which includes a number of podcasts on things like Task Force X, Suicide Squad, G.I. Joe, Starman, Manhunter. I know I'm, for, I'm forgetting something. Uh, forgive me. It's late at night. Anyway, he writes, Firestorm and some guy that talks to fish. <laughs> uh, Firestorm is one of my two favorite heroes, the other being the Atom. I also like Nate. Oh, er, Iron uh, Aquaman. Sorry. Flash to the DC Cinematic Universe for a minute. Shag and Rob do a fantastic job of covering the books of these two heroes. If you like good podcasts, covering a great book and a pretty good fish book guy, definitely check out this podcast. You know, for a fan of the Adam, he's pretty full of himself with the Aquaman. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, he, he took a couple swipes at you there, buddy. <laughs> I make fun of Aquaman, but I really like Sovereign Seven. Great, good job. <laughs> I, uh, I like Sovereign an, Seven. An email from Leslie Trigg. The podcast that started it all. Rob Kelly brings insight to one of the most overlooked and ridiculed heroes, Aquaman. Aquaman is a hero worth checking out. The irredeemable shag brings a great longing to see future movie star Slipknot and the guy who was on TV called Firestorm. Great podcast. 
Thank you, Leslie. Well, thank you guys so much for all of your feedback. We sincerely appreciate it. And that's that's the end of the iTunes. Now we're going to go into the comments specifically on episode 164. Yes. Uh, first, uh, first message is from Andrew Kolvek. He says, hey, guys, a note on the Sugar Spike feature in Legends of Tomorrow. The artist... Bilquis or Bilqui Evely is a female, and yes, she is very good. As far as I know, this is her first work outside of Dynamite Entertainment, where she was the artist for an excellent Doc Savage miniseries with writer Chris Robertson from last year, and I think some of the Shadow books too. I- I'm super excited that she drew a Doc Savage thing. That sounds really cool. I gotta dig that out because I love her work and I like Doc Savage, so that sounds really great. Next up, we got something from Luke Dobb, our old pal Luke Dobb, and he says, Robin Shag, I'm so glad someone said something about Mira's boobs in the current art work <laughs> not a fan look i love boobs as much as the next guy but these boobs are weird looking plus i don't know how many items of clothing worn by women that contour around each individual boob like this they're huge they're oddly shaped and they're just plain distracting sometimes less boob is more boob let's get those bungos under control <laughs> ah that jenny dobb is a lucky lady um, Luke's on, uh, Luke goes on to say, I've been enjoying the Legends of Tomorrow book quite a bit, particularly the format. And then he says, uh, if anything, it reminds me of DC Digest. Look at that, Rob, your beloved DC I Digest. I love it. He says, I'm excited to see Ronnie and Professor Stein linked back together and was surprised at the feeling of loss I experienced when Jason was removed from the Matrix. I hadn't realized how much I'd grown to accept him. Hopefully Conway will continue to use the character in a compelling way. He definitely belongs as part of the Firestorm family. And, you know, I agree, uh, Luke. I, I was also shocked at, like, how much I felt that loss when Jason was out. But I think they found a good way to keep him in, which is good. Heard from our buddy Martin Gray from the Too Dangerous for Girl blog. He says, uh, again, we're just pulling bits and pieces from people's comments here. He says, uh, that's a brilliant idea someone came up with about Monica dosing Jason. Now, this was the last episode uh, where we were talking about the, the Jason Rush's friend, the girl, w- was constantly handing Jason drinks. And then Jason would always get sick immediately afterwards. We were wondering if Monica was actually what caused Jason to get sick. So anyway, yeah, he says that uh, that was a brilliant idea someone came up with. What a rat bag. Uh, is she the new Cliff Carmichael? The Mon Thinker? <laughs> I love it. He came up with a name for her and everything. Rat bag is uh, very colorful. Uh, Our pal Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast over on our own network here uh, wrote in and he said, I find it very depressing that a comic that sold only 18,000 copies is considered a decent success. Wow. The fact that a Superman comic is selling below that is even more depressing. Well, bear in mind they didn't have any of the digital numbers, and it's only through Diamond Comics distributors. So anyone else that was selling them or got them through other distributors, the number is actually higher. But, yeah, it's it's a pretty low number. Yeah. Yep. Comic industry has changed, my friend. So then we heard from Suntaran. Uh, he says, having lived in – oh, this is talking about Spindrift Station. And he has a very long discussion here. I'm not actually going to go into it. You guys should go out to Fire and Water Podcast and read about it. He, he's, um, he lived in Maine, and he goes on to explain where he thinks Spindrift Station is. And then Jeff Peterson and him kind of go back and forth about it. It's an interesting conversation. And now I wonder, is it moot? Because maybe it's in Massachusetts. Who knows? Hmm. Uh, and then he goes on and goes even further to have this really interesting scientific discussion about how the teardrop allowed dead water to transform. And he goes into some physics of it, which is fascinating to read, but I, I don't know. I can't really read it right now. But go out and check that out as well. And then finally he mentions, he goes, hey, you got your live-action matter transmutation from Firestorm in Legends of Tomorrow. So yes, folks, if you don't watch Legends of Tomorrow, I have 
jumped back in, and I've watched a few episodes again. I watched the season finale, and Firestorm does develop transmutation powers. He is transforming objects from one thing to another, and uh, which is kind of exciting because that's kind of Firestorm's gig. And uh, now there's rumors of where this might go. If, if you watch The Flash, I don't want to spoil it because the season finale just happened a few weeks ago. But uh, there's a big change coming for The Flash in Season 3. And some of the speculation is they may find a way to incorporate Firestorm into some of it. Who knows, maybe even Robbie Amell. So it could be interesting to see what they do there. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, our pal Ange wrote in. He's from the comic, uh, comic book, Supergirl blog, the Comic Bucks commentary. Uh, he says, great show as always. I think the writer got the scavenger secret identity wrong. Dan Abnett added four too many letters to the last name. Because if anyone is a Mort, it's that dude. Oh, I instead of Mortimer. <laughs> I get ribbed for liking Reatron, and you guys are waxing the scavenger's car. <laughs> <laughs> I admit it. I have no reason to like the scavenger. I just do. But I am admitting he's he's pretty much a Mort. But I, I guess I like the fact that he's just he's like the Dr. Light of Aquaman before Dr. Light went bad. Right. Where he's just Aquaman beats the crap out of him regularly. I just enjoy that. Okay, but on the Mort scale, you know, Scavenger is still way better. Yeah, he's not than, he's Pot Pete or anything. Reactron. I mean, yeah, come that's, on. Yeah, that's, that's well, now, Reactron's been a live action. You doesn't make him cool. No, uh, that's true. If, if you want to, if, if Reactron wants to mock somebody, he's going to have to look down on the council and the gang. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> all to it, buddy. They'll probably be on next season, you know. I'm sure they are. That's yeah. probably the big bad. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's why they're bringing in Superman. Uh, Paul Hicks from the Waiting for Doom, Doom Patrol podcast, uh, came and he said, I hate to they, point... Uh, they, they don't have to wait much longer, by the way. Hmm? They've announced a Doom Patrol book. Oh, did they? Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Paul must be excited. He says, uh, I hate to point this out in case it causes it causes to, to evaporate, but Rob and Shag seem quite functional together right now. <laughs> <laughs> Rob is down late sunny most episodes, right down to mocking his own grumbling. <laughs> Shag's digs at Rob are completely half-hearted, too. It sounds like they're holding hands while they record. Perhaps it's because of the upswing in the Aquaman book and the return of Jerry Comedy Firestorm? Is this a sign of the end times? <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, if, if it makes you feel any better, about half the show ends up in the, on the cutting room floor, and you don't hear what happens in between. And uh, it's it's pretty brutal. It's pretty. I, I was crying uh, about thirty minutes ago, actually. Um, it's it, Rob's laughing. You hear him laughing. He, he put me in tears. And, uh, yeah, I'm laughing because I'm a sociopath. Well, exactly. So it's uh, it's still pretty, it's still pretty rough. But thank thank you for the the cheerful thought. We appreciate it. From a ten thousand foot level, we look like we get along. I hate you so much. Uh, we heard from our buddy Ryan Daly, and I use that term buddy loose uh, buddy loosely. Um, let's start that again. Heard from our, and you can laugh like that because that's good. All right. Heard from our buddy uh, Ryan Daly, and when I say buddy, I'm using that term very loosely. Um, he's part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Unfortunately, we can't vote him out anymore. And uh, he does the Secret Origins podcast, Give Me Those Star Wars podcast, Powers of Fishnets. I don't. He's probably got like four other shows. He I don't does Secret Origins when he feels like it. He does take weeks off from time to time, doesn't he? It must be nice. It must be nice to have that week off option. Just saying. What am I wow. supposed to work on Mondays? <laughs> It says the guy who had a week off a little while ago and me who had two weeks off. But anyway, uh, he says I w- he just needs a partner. Anyway, he says, I wonder if Ronnie and Jason and by extension Jerry Conway and also Shag's son – that's a whole lot of building up to this – understand that Netflix and chill doesn't really refer to watching Netflix and or chilling. Well, that's an incredibly funny statement. It then leads me to go, really? Oh, what's it really mean? I don't know. Is that a euphemism for sex? Look it up. 
Really? I got to go to Urban Dictionary for this? Okay. Anyway, yeah. they heard from our buddy Mark Baker Wright, who does uh, the Black Rock Toy Box blog. He says, uh, when comparing Stein's tenure to Rush's... Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Last episode, I, I, I lost it. I went on this giant diatribe about who had been in the Firestorm Matrix the longest. And uh, I just compared basically Jason's time to the Professor's time and, and was showing how kind of they're almost on equal footing. And Mark calls me to task on this. He says, when comparing Stein's tenure to Rush's, you left out that time that Stein was part of the Matrix with Jason. I think that pushes Stein back over Jason in terms of longevity. And you know what? You may very well be right, Mark. Uh, and and I, I don't know that if I included that or not. But truth be told, Stein with Jason wasn't a very long period. It was... Because, you know, they, they started together, and then immediately Stein was taken out of the mix and replaced with Firehawk. And then Stein comes back, and then that didn't last too terribly long before they replaced her with Jenna. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it may have pushed Stein over. But I guess the bottom line, you know, they get the equations done, and the numbers don't necessarily matter as much as Jason was around a lot longer than it feels like is probably the best way to put it. It's kind of surprising how, how almost equal Jason and Professor Stein's in the Matrix uh, time is equal. So. You make a good point, though. You know, for you know, hypersensitive, overly uh, anal retentive firestorm nerd. But <laughs> hey, I'm right there with you, bro. So don't feel bad about that. <laughs> Got a message from Rift. He says, "Very fun episode, guys." Shag's version of Rob's reviews was Aquaman. He turned around and stabbed someone with the trident. Done. Had me laughing. <laughs> Shag, not knowing who the white stripes are, really? Uh, there were a bunch of comments about that. I still didn't Google that, folks. I have no idea. Sorry. <laughs> Apparently, I don't know what Netflix and Chills are either. I'm sort of like a reclusive suburban <laughs> guy. You know, I, I, don't, I, I work from home now, so I don't even see people in an office. I don't really like people in general. Um, so I'm, I pretty much don't know anything. So I read comics. I'm one of those guys. Oh, my. I, you could almost say I live in my parents' basement, except they don't live in my parents' basement. And if you're in Florida, basement's underwater. But. So, we're here from Michael Kiriskiro from the non-existent uh, Batman and the Outsiders blog. He says, you guys are making me want to continue reading Sugar and Spike uh, from Legends of Tomorrow. I might do what Rob is planning and pick up the trade later. I'm telling you, I'm reading it and buying it issue by issue. I think I'm still going to buy the Sugar and Spike trade. It's that much fun and would be lovely to put in the hands of any like long-term DC Comics fan. Because there's a lot of people that have walked away from DC Comics. And a lot of them are sort of dipping their toe back in right now with Rebirth. And some of them aren't. But um, I think it's going to be a fun story. So, oh, you like DC from the old days? Read this, and they're just going to love the crap out of it. Heard from our buddy Jimmy McGlinchey. He says, Dan Abnett has really improved Aquaman's immeasur immeasurably from his last run and look forward to what's in store for Aquaman and Rebirth. Me too, dude. I'm right there with you. Dale Russell says, uh, the way Mara is being drawn now just makes me think, motorboat. Completely crass and probably unnecessary, Dale, but funny as heck. So, uh, Lucien Dessar, who's probably currently on a subway with some sharks, says, Luke Dobb for president. Awesome Firestorm t-shirts for all. I really have no idea where that comes from, other than I love Luke Dobb's Firestorm shirts, but heck, did we talk about that in the last episode? I don't remember. I didn't think so. Okay, well, I don't care. You know what? I totally agree. Luke Dobb should make some more Firestorm shirts. Do it, Luke. Go, Luke. Roger Pre brought in to remind me that uh, Ethan Van Skyver, who did the New 52 Firestorm book, he had a long-term plan. Him and Joe Harris had worked out before they left the Firestorm book. Um, they were actually going to – because back then, you know, you had Jason and Ronnie as separate individuals uh, uh, as Firestorm. They each were their own independent Firestorm. They had this plan to revert Ronnie 
back to the more classic Firestorm. It was going to be Ronnie with Professor Stein as an onboard, you know, advisor. And Jason was actually going to turn and become a villain. And uh, Roger brought all this back up, just reminding me of that, and was saying perhaps that's where uh, Jerry's going. Well, I think we see this issue that is not the case. And I'm thankful for that because I would prefer to see Jason in the heroic role. That's what I want to see. But thank you for writing in, Roger. We got a message from Doug Javisa from the My Greatest Adventure 80, the Doom Patrol blog. Him and Paul Hicks should team up. Uh, he mentioned they have, they have many times. Do you not listen to the show? Oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't like Paul Hicks, so that's really what that is. Well, he did take a slam at you one time. I, though, yes, he yeah. did, and which, I, which makes me love him all the more. I yeah, uh, he's dead to me. I'm hugging uh, my Australian brothers. Anyway, yeah. anyway, Doug says sugar and spike surprise me as my personal fave of the four, but that just ensures each issue is going to have to enough. That just ensures each issue is going to have enough to keep my interest. Yes, uh, we're very happy that Sugar and Spike is is uh, people were helping people get that trip notice. It deserves it. It's absolutely a hoot. Absolutely love it. That's not to take anything away from the Metal Man or more. more. That's really hard word to say. Metamorpho strip. Metamorpho. 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 I can say it now. Look at that. Okay, I'm enjoying the Metal Man strip tremendously. So yeah, I don't want to take anything away from those guys. So. I mentioned in the last episode, we were talking about Scavenger, and we were talking about our personal love for it, and off the cuff, I mentioned one of my favorite covers by Nick, uh, it was an old one, a Scavenger cover, it was about the seas rotting, and I was like, I couldn't remember what issue it was, and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, man, uh, because, you know, you have an Aquaman blog and everything, and um, and actually, a couple of guys wrote in guessing, uh, Max Rebo wrote in, and he was in Return of the Jedi, he was that blue guy, <laughs> anyway, he wrote in, uh, and he guessed Aquaman number 60, Close, my friend. That was a great guess. He posted it. I, it was a beautiful cover. Not the one I was thinking of, though. Martin Gray guessed it right. It was Aquaman number 37. And it has to, uh, It's Aquaman holding Mera. It's a great Nick Cardi cover. And it, there's Tusky like, laying up by Aquaman's feet, although it's probably not Tusky because I don't think he had Tusky in the comic, did he? No. Okay, so it's just a walrus. And then Aqualad in the background. And the, the sea is just rotting around them. And it says, when the sea dies... And it's a great cover, and uh, I always think of that whenever I think of Scavenger. <laughs> but that's not. But Scavenger's not on the cover, though. No, but that's it's his issue. He's right, right, right. Causing that to happen. Right. Okay. I thought you meant that Scavenger was on the cover. I think that's why I was getting confused. Go back and listen to the tapes. No, you didn't think that. Did I think? I don't know. I don't. I even said it was Nick Cardi, and you're like, no. No. It... <sighs> All right. In okay. fact, I think you spat on me through the internet. I think what happened <laughs> on that episode. I did remember spitting in an envelope and mailing it to you. I did remember. Doing that. <laughs> Is that what that was? Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, okay, and we got some attention on Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus. Uh, not, not really, yeah, Periscope or whatever, uh, from a bunch of people, and we really appreciate that, so we want to mention them. This, they're all members of the nuclear sub-community. First of all, let's start off with two big names, Dan Abnett and, and Nick, which is at Vincent Abnett, and Jerry Conway, at Jerry Conway. Thanks, guys. Yay. Really appreciate it. Very cool. These are, these are specifically people that took the time to share our show on their timeline. So whether it be retweeting or sharing or whatever, and that just, it really helps folks to get the word out there. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, they are Andrew, Ange, Arthur Curry, Barry Reese, Between the Pages, Callum Nahar, Chris Franklin, City Geek, Country Geek, Clinton Robinson, Coffee and Comics Blog, DS and RS, Gareth Oliver, Headcast Network, Hicks, Jacob Edwards, Jared West, Jeremiah Parker, Jose Rivera, Joseph Kichi Baker, Con L, KSGSVF Podcast, Kung Fu Comics, Laura Cox, Leonardo Emma Montiero, <laughs> Lukester Gold, Martin Gray, Max Rebo, Mikey Flash, Petro Blacksmoff, trademark, Richard Field, Robert Lewis, 
Selena Kyle, Silver and Gold Podcast, Superman, Cat, Marvel, The Hammer Strikes, Trekker Talk, Trisman, Tutor Freaks, Van Z, Warlord Worlds, Willie Arborough, and the Xenozoic Xenophiles. A couple of things. I love that Pietro Blaximov has trademarked his name now. <laughs> I think that's in an effort to protect it from you because you love that name so much. And also, folks, just so you know, there's a secret game Rob and I play <laughs> when we do this. So when we burst into giggles during this segment, forgive us. It's it's us trying to beat each other to certain things. <laughs> anyway, uh, that was good, Rob. Well done. <laughs> then we're going to give a shout-out to our friends who liked the show and give us plus ones or favorites, things along those lines, and just going to blaze through this list really quickly and rob's not gonna be able to stop me from making joe slab an alcoholic uh which is what he did last time anyway uh adam ackerman adam strabelli alexander rampoldi ain't it anias andrew aqua ander austin cook kendall callum nower david ace guterres darren Aru sutherland ed moore eli perrin emerus wild gabriel lippa gareth oliver giancarlo nurko Jacob Edwards, Jared West, Jay Jones, Jose Rivera, Jose Argentina, Joe Slab, <clears throat> Kevin124, 1214, you forgot the three, Kevin, oh my gosh, Kyle Benning, Laura Cox, Lean Shorey, Lucas Garrett, Luke Dobb, Martin Gray, Mason Burke, Max Romero, Michael Kirkland, Mikey Flash, Orlando, the entire city of Orlando, thank you for that, Pietro Blaximoff, Ruth Sutherland, Selena Kyle, Silver and Gold Podcast, The Batsy Twins, Tim Wallace, Trekker Talk, Trebesman, Van Z, Warlord Worlds, Will Lil Comics, Willie Arbrow, Xenozoic Xenophiles, and Zeb Oswald. Who the, hell's, who the hell's Buck Rowlett? I He took the week off, I think. <laughs> so. <laughs> but, you know, he's got a life. He's doing stuff. I mean, he'll be back around, you know. Do you keep up with every podcast the week it comes out? I mean, come on. Apparently not. Give the guy, right? Give the guy a break. <laughs> so, folks, that is going to do it for the Fire and Water podcast this uh, this week. And uh, it's this month's version of our, our issue reviews. So we'll be back next month with, I guess, uh, when's Aquaman number one come out? Uh, two weeks from now. Okay. So we'll be back with Aquaman number one and maybe number two. I, if it's maybe out. so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to wear Rob out, folks. <laughs> and then Legends tomorrow number five. Man, it's, it's winding down. Oh. Well, at least when it winds down, we'll be able to go back and cover those classic issues. We'll finally get to talk about Slipknot. Those classic firestorms are now on Comicsology. Let me tell you, I get to go comic shopping every week, Rob. I go comic shopping on my tablet every week. And I am buying comics that make me so happy. Every week I get to buy three issues of Classic Firestorm and two issues of Blue Devil. It is glorious. It is like the happiest comic book shopping bag I've ever had. It's, it makes me so happy. Good. <laughs> Thanks for your support. All right, folks. <laughs> I know. What do you want from me? <laughs> I don't know. So, Rob, tell the folks at home how they can get in touch with us, please. <laughs> If for some reason you want to reach out to us, I don't know why you would want to do that. But you go to the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com, and use the contact page, or you can leave comments on the individual show threads. And if you want to email us like uh, people did hundreds of years ago, it's fireandwaterpodcast.comcast.net. Fantastic. We also take uh, telegrams, uh, Western Union, uh, if you want to send money, um, Pony Express, all those things are good ways to get in touch. Oh, and Twitter, of course, which is at FWPodcasts. Exactly. Oh, we have a hashtag, Pound FW Podcast. Right. Thanks for using that, everybody. Um, also, you can read, you can find Rob on the AquamanShrine.net. You can find him on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can find me at FirestormFan.com and on Facebook and Twitter as well. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks. It was another great round of comics. 
wow, it was a lot of comics. It was a lot of feedback. You guys are the absolute best. We sincerely appreciate it. And uh, we'll be talking to you next month. Until then, fan the flame, ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm Fighting crime together Soak them down Or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair They stand for truth and justice And see a land in air Aquaman and Firestorm They make a super pair Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. Well, therefore, you certainly would never lose your temper over something as trivial as the pronunciation of chowder. That's chowder. Chowder. I'll kill you. I'll kill all of you, especially those of you.